It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Harris Faulkner. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Janice Dean. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, July 7th, 2023. I'm Chris Foster. President Biden says his economic plans are working. A majority of Americans disagree. When we're suffering in our own pocketbooks, we tend to punish whichever party is in power and running the White House. So, I mean, we've seen that to be true against Democrats and Republicans. I'm Lisa Brady. To fight crime, support law enforcement. That's the message from a former officer who's now a congressman. There's a whole bunch of departments across this nation that are just looking to hire good, solid human beings that will serve their communities with honor, dignity, and trust. And when that happens, you will see a change in this country. And I'm Tommy Lahren. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. President Biden and members of his administration are on tour promoting what the White House calls Bidenomics. And Bayes uh, say that $60 million they're investing here. Well, that's 1,800 jobs across the country. And up 600 permanent jobs right here in South Carolina. All a direct result of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act I wrote in the past. Well, that's, that's what I was in the past where so much money is coming in to make all this happen. The president in West Columbia, South Carolina, announcing new spending on clean energy manufacturing. South Carolina Senate Republican Tim Scott on Fox says Bidenomics isn't working. Every single month since he's been in office, except for one, inflation outpacing increases in wages. We've done better. We can do better. Most Americans agree we can do better. Our recent polling proves that. I mean, it shows that the vast majority of people do not like the way this president is handling the economy. The host of Fox News Sunday, Shannon Bream. The number one thing people are worried about, like 90 percent are concerned about inflation. So while they're out there making this case, and it is a full court press, I mean, like several cabinet members, everybody's out there. It has translated into real life for most people who still you know, have all kinds of real world expenses from groceries to gas to rent that have not come down in the way that they would hope. Yeah. I mean, even if they tout, say, wins on infrastructure, for example, Mm -hmm. having a bridge built isn't helping you right now. Right. Pay your groceries. Like when you go there, you still notice that everything is a lot more expensive than it was a couple of years ago. And they'll say, Rightfully so that inflation is moving in the right direction. But when it hit a 40-year high last summer, I mean, that's nothing to brag about. So, of course, you want to see improvement from that. And who knows? I mean, we're talking about this because we're talking about it and the, the administration is talking about it. But we're a ways away. And it may be more how's the economy in 15 months that may have mm-hmm. more of an effect. On the other, like, There's always been a strong correlation between the economy right before a presidential mm-hmm. election and the results of that election. Mm-hmm. I suspect that that is probably less so as we become more polarized. I wonder mm-hmm. if those external factors matter nearly as, as much. much. Yeah, because yeah, they tend to, when we're suffering in our own pocketbooks, we tend to punish whichever party is in power and running the White House. So, I mean, we've seen that to be true against mm-hmm. Democrats and Republicans. But yeah, the real world stuff does matter. But when we look at our polling too, and, and when you look at things like asking primary voters, why are you voting for the person you're voting for? Is it because of issues and they line up where you are? Or is it because you think they can beat the opponent? Or you hate the other opponent, so that's why you're showing up. I mean, there are a lot of things that will factor in with the economy too. Last November, um, th- those elections, the Supreme Court reversing Roe versus Wade got a lot of credit f- for getting Democrats to come out and vote. And now... Democrats are trying to fundraise and rally support on the Supreme Court decision against uh, student loan forgiveness. Mm -hmm. 
there's still there's still an abortion fight going on. But now I think they're trying to the Democrats are trying to pile on and say, look what this court is doing mm-hmm. to you. Get out and vote young people. Mm-hmm. And, and we saw it the day of. And I think this administration knew that was probably the decision coming from the Supreme Court. So they had planned their messaging. They knew what they were going to say. And that's it, essentially, is this, quote, MAGA court is stripping away all of your rights and everything good in your life. And so you can't elect presidents who will appoint any more people uh, like the last three that were appointed by President Trump. Now, he's using it to take a victory lap on the other side, going out and at his rally saying, look what I gave you. Look what these three justices that I appointed have given you and these wins right. for the right or for conservative on the other side. But Democrats are absolutely going to message on that. You saw the president that day making comments saying, we were trying to do things to help middle America. The Republicans did not want to help middle America. So, of course, that's the best way to handle a, a legal loss is trying to make a political gain. I mean, then there's a, a cynical view of it, like you said, is that maybe the, the White House never thought this was going to work out. And it was just always a messaging thing, um, which I guess could theoretically backfire. In the end, it's a broken campaign promise. He didn't Mm-hmm. help you with your student loans. But we'll point to the MAGAs. That, that's, the, you know, mm-hmm. they love to use that. And he, MAGA extremists, and you know the language the White House uses and the president uses. But you heard the questioning from our Jackie Heinrich, who said to him, like, did you give millions of people this false hope? He says, no, it was real hope. It was the Republicans who snatched it away. So I would imagine that's going to be a theme they stick with. This federal judge in Louisiana says Biden administration officials can no longer have to limit their contact with social media companies. Can you explain what this dispute even came from and where it is. Yeah, so a lot of it, uh, it involves these two states, but also there were individual plaintiffs who said that they were censored. These were people who were speaking out about COVID restrictions and masks and the science, the medicine, the vaccines, all of it. And so essentially what they found was through discovery, look, there were all these communications between this administration um, and previous administration there, you know, with these tech companies wanting to censor ideas. And so that's what these two AGs in these states had said. This was a censorship enterprise. And what the judge has said, essentially, and it's a temporary, as you know, injunction. So we'll see what the final decision is. But he's like, for now, these, these, these agencies, these administration officials cannot be talking with social media to tell them to take down posts or things that they disagree with or a disfavored position. And so the folks who were involved with this, and it was a number of physicians, too, who were speaking out, they're calling it a big victory, saying this proves that we were being censored and that the government can't go around and do things through private actors that they themselves couldn't do when it comes to limiting First Amendment free speech. Yeah, I mean, their and their argument is: look, we didn't compel anybody to do anything, but mm-hmm. but you when know, the government's if, calling exactly. you up, like when the G- DOJ is calling you up and be like, you might want to take a look at that tweet. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how a business owner right. is going to respond to that. Yeah. How they're going to feel? Yeah. Former President Trump's second quarter fundraising numbers are in twice as much of a haul as his first quarter numbers. Are these indictments making him making his campaign money? Listen, he was prescient about it before the first one came down out of New York, that state indictment there. He predicted that his numbers would go up if he was indicted. And with each one that comes, it seems to prove his point and give credence to his narrative that the establishment's after me, the deep state's after me. They're going to stop me legally if they can, because they can't stop me politically. So... Man, it seems to be working for him. I mean, politically, it is rallying people to him in new ways, and it forces his own rivals to do it, too. Everyone in the GOP field has to run to him and talk about whether they would pardon him or not. They have to talk about him. They have to talk about that this is a witch hunt, that this was not a fair investigation. I mean, so they're forced to do it, so it only benefits him politically. Listen, this is very serious legal trouble on some of these fronts. I mean, this is real jail time connected to this stuff, and we're still waiting. Could there be another federal indictment? Could there be indictments out of Georgia? So these are real things that are piling up. But for now, in the short term, the political payoff is definitely there for him. I mean, from who's from who we know has been interviewed by people with the special counsel's office, Jack Smith's office, 
We know they're looking at election interference, mm-hmm. which is which they're also looking at in Georgia, efforts to overturn the the Trump-Biden election. And how many cases are possibly going to be stacked up mm-hmm. potentially during an election year? Well, and that's the thing is think about if you've ever been involved with any legal situation mm-hmm. or any trial. Like it is all consuming. It worries you. You're thinking about it. You got to plan if you're giving depositions, if you're going to give sworn testimony. Like that takes a ton of prep time with attorneys that you just have to do it. And if you have three or four or five of these going at one time, that is a real imposition on your time, your psyche, your strength, your physical, mental strength, all these things. Um, I think in the case of President Trump, he feeds on this and he actually gets energy out in the fight. He's a fighter. That's what his supporters love about him. But the reality of juggling three or four or five trials at the same time you're running for president, that's a big drain. Yeah. Ron DeSantis has been certainly not gaining in the polls. He put out this video basically attacking Donald Trump for his support of the queer community, mm-hmm. which I'm sure some DeSantis supporters may agree with that attack, that line of attack, but it also, it seems like a very strange target in this day and age. Well, and when I saw it, I actually was confused because I thought, is this someone trolling the DeSantis campaign? I really couldn't figure it out because I thought this is such a mixed message because it's sort of right. Taking this attack on President Trump that he's been too kind or too welcoming or too open to this particular community at a time when Republicans are trying to say that they're building a big tent and there's room for everybody. I literally did not know what to make of the ad when I saw it. Um, it just seemed very odd. You know, you think about every bit of messaging that you put out as part of a campaign. It's very well thought through. You've got all kinds of consultants and oftentimes, um, you know, you workshop this stuff. I don't know how much attention this one got or if they thought this is something really different and cutting edge and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I don't know. But the reaction, I'm not sure is what they were going for. Yeah. Shannon, I have to confront you about your cocaine at the White House. Oh, no. Hey, for the record, the logs will show I was not there that day. Okay. Just to clear that. Logs can be scrubbed. That's true. That's true. I give you my word okay. as a bream that I was not at the White House that day. Um, you've been at the White House. Describe mm-hmm. where this, where the coke was found, how accessible it is to people. I mean, it wasn't in somebody's office. No, and it was a more trafficked area where visitors would leave cell phones or personal items when they would be coming in to mm-hmm. go look around the White House. So you wonder, okay, was this a visitor who happened to have this on them panicked? Remember they had it. Like You would think you knew a bag of that size of cocaine <laughs> if mm-hmm. you had it with you going into the White House. Did they panic and just ditch it there? Was it a staffer who also at some point, this is a convenient drop, I've got this in my bag, I forgot about it, I leave it here. There would be a lot of people, but listen, as you said, visitor logs can be scrubbed. We trust that people are going to be transparent with us. But also there's enormous security cameras, all kinds of protective staff. The president wasn't there, so you would have a different level of protective staff at that point. There's not a whole lot of legal jeopardy here. It's a misdemeanor um, cocaine possession in Washington, D.C., I, I believe. It that, that tells you all you need to know about D.C. <laughs> with the Wild West that we have there. Besides the legal jeopardy, whoever whoever's coke this was, I imagine, is quaking in their boots. Panicking. Because if and when that name comes out, mm-hmm. they are very infamous for, right. for, for a while. Yeah, um, your employment situation yeah. is definitely in jeopardy. And from what we know right now, they're doing fingerprint and DNA testing to try to get some information off the bag. Shannon Bream did not definitively <laughs> have will, cocaine at the White I House can't, I will last swear Sunday. a sworn affidavit. I will sign it today. Shannon Bream, Fox News Sunday host. Good to see you. Thanks. You too. Thank you.
The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This is Tommy Lahren with your Fox News commentary coming up. America's crime crisis. Less than three months into the COVID pandemic, George Floyd was killed by police in Minneapolis, fueling mass protests, some escalating to violence, and years of debate about police reform, including a defund police movement, with some Democrats arguing money should be moved to alternatives. In 2021, then-senior advisor to the president, Cedric Richmond, told Fox News Sunday Republicans defunded police by voting against another round of pandemic relief. An emergency relief plan for cities that were cash-strapped and laying off police and firefighters, it was the Republicans who objected to it. Senator Tim Scott called that argument ridiculous, telling Fox's Brian Kilmeade Republicans refund police. More money for officers because the last thing you can do is ask someone to go into the most dangerous places in our country without the resources and without covering their liability. Now, the South Carolina Republican is running for president. His efforts to help broker a police reform bill in Congress, part of his record, along with the Justice Act, which stands for just and unifying solutions to invigorate communities everywhere. Minnesota Republican Congressman Pete Stauber introduced the House version. Having spent 23 years uh, in law enforcement, you know, I can tell you the defund the police movement, uh, the disparage of the men and women in the blue and brown is disgusting. And it's having its toll on uh, the American people. Stauber, a former police officer, is in his third term serving Minnesota's 8th district. And when you have really good police officers leaving the profession at three, five, seven years, uh, we all know that good cops want to stay and serve their communities. But when you don't have the support from your elected officials and you don't have support from your federal elected officials and it hurts uh, the morale and retention uh, and the recruitment for our local law enforcement and the communities they serve. And then the second part of that is you have to have district attorneys that will prosecute these violent offenders. Look at in our nation's capital. The the city council wanted to make carjacking a non-crime as long as the um, car owner wasn't harmed. That's atrocious. It's frustrating to see what's happening, not only in Minnesota, but across the nation. We could do better. And the fact is, this is a bipartisan issue, and it should be a bipartisan issue. But, of course, some of my colleagues, um, Lisa, on the other side of the aisle, uh, are doing everything they can to diminish the profession of law enforcement. It has been more than three years since you and Senator Tim Scott introduced the Justice Act in the House and Senate just a few months after the death of George Floyd in your home state in Minneapolis. Democrats pushed a bill named after Floyd that also couldn't win final passage. Where do things stand in Congress, um, not just in terms of police reform, but fighting crime in general? Well, so we, what we need to do is we, we have to have all elected officials at every level of government making sure that law enforcement is, is we push it as an honorable, noble, respected profession again. We see right now that uh, the, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, for example, that took away qualified immunity. You take away qualified immunity from American law enforcement officers, that profession's done. And we've had experts testify uh, Senator Scott and I fought to make sure that qualified immunity 
was uh, kept in every piece of legislation and um, almost every Democrat in the House of Representatives voted to take away qualified immunity from police officers. You know, it's frustrating. We've had, uh, I, I've talked to police officers from around the country. You know, there's only a few of them, Lisa, that uh, there's only a few in Congress rather that have worn the police uniform and I'm I'm one of them. I, I know what it's like to put on the uniform and kiss your loved one goodbye. So when we talk about, uh, you know, law enforcement, we need to make sure that that profession has the resources and the legislation behind it to make it successful. And, and communities have to work with their police and police have to work with their communities to really build that mutual trust back up. And we're seeing that in some parts of our country right now, uh, but we need to see it across the nation. I mean, American communities are very concerned about the safety uh, for themselves and their children uh, because of the lack of support for law enforcement. I want to ask you one follow-up question on the qualified immunity, because the critics of it say it stands in the way of more accountability in policing, that it gives too much protection from lawsuits um, to police. Is there a way to bridge the gap on that issue? Because it has been a key sticking point in Congress in terms of you know passing reform. Um, and does it stand in the way more broadly of reaching consensus on fighting crime? Qualified immunity is essential for law enforcement. You will have nobody go into the profession when at a split second moment, they can lose their house, their lifetime savings, etc. They will not go into the profession. Remember, for the listeners, qualified immunity, you have to qualify for that immunity. If you are following your uh, department's policies and procedures and training, they must protect you from lawsuits. Now, if you go outside your department's policies, procedures, and training, you don't qualify for that immunity. It's as simple as that. Um, so the, the, the qualified immunity is necessary for law enforcement officers because you will not recruit and retain police officers. And I know that for a fact because I, when the, the Democrats were trying to take away qualified immunity under the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, we got calls in our office. We're, we're, what do we do? We're 15 years into our career. We got you know 12, 14 left. They're not going to stay. They've told me we are not going to stay in this profession if you take that away because of the lawsuits. And uh, I would say to those people that would say that qualified immunity is a barrier, I'd say you've never worn, or most likely you've never worn the shoes of law enforcement. You've never had a gun pointed at you. You've never been uh, shot in the head like I have, you've never worn those shoes. So listen to the people that have been in uniform. And again, community, I've talked about community policing, Lisa. Community policing is very simple. And my definition of community policing, and this is what I'm pushing across the nation, community policing is you don't police your community, you police with your community. And it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of uh, transparency and mutual respect and trust. And right now across this great nation, there seems to be some elected officials and some people within their respective communities uh, that will not support law enforcement, will not listen to what they say, and you're seeing chaos. And so, uh, like I say, my time in uniform may be over, Lisa, but my watch will never end for the men and women uh, that defend uh, our communities with their lives. 
I know you've also served in local government as a city council member, also a county commissioner. How much of this can be solved locally instead of at the federal level? You've talked about community policing, but is this an issue where more federal rules are better for consistency and enforcement purposes around the country? The fact of the matter is Duluth, Minnesota is much different than Duluth, Georgia, for example. So you have to have the flexibility within your local communities to allow your the local law enforcement officers and the city councils and the sh- elected sheriffs to police their community the best that they know how, not the heavy hand of federal government always coming down on them. Because again, the the autonomy of our local police departments, they know their communities the best. And the gold standard in law enforcement, Lisa, is voluntary compliance. When you can have that in almost any call that you go on, you become a successful department. Right now, that's not happening across the nation. We're having people resisting cops, running from cops. Uh, it, and and we, we have to teach in society, Lisa, we have to teach our children that you have to respect the cops. And, and most everything now is on camera. So comply now, we can challenge it later. I think you're seeing law enforcement today probably at its lowest point ever. You can talk to sheriffs and chiefs of police around the nation. I don't think anybody would disagree with that statement, but we have a lot of work to do. And as a member of Congress, I can tell you, Lisa, that that I'm doing everything I possibly can to lift up that profession and get that, that profession to where it needs to be. How much of this is funding? Is the country not spending enough on law enforcement or did the defund movement inadvertently, you know, send that in the other direction? Well, look at the city of Minneapolis, for example. They had uh, not only a city council, uh, but uh, a member, an elected member of the uh, uh, House of Representatives that pushed for defunding the police. The crime is through the roof in Minneapolis. There are over 300 officers down. I just talked to a a sheriff in Minnesota who said for every one opening they have, they have 1.3 applicants. They used to have 11 or 12, 13, 14 at least. Uh, But you look at this defund, disparage, defund the police movement. It has had devastating consequences, unfortunately. Congress did pass the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Um, The president followed that up with an executive order. They focus mainly on gun violence, but there are some mental health components folded in, um, which is something that overlaps with another issue that's been growing around the country, which is homelessness. Is this where Mm -hmm. more of the focus should be to help reduce crime in general, mental health and homelessness, those two issues? It's extremely important, number one, that we stop stigmatizing and putting a negative connotation towards mental health. Uh, mental health is a, a a big concern for law enforcement, especially and oftentimes the the people that are experiencing a mental health crisis they don't get the necessary help or treatment they need, and the cops are at their either at their residence or that individual is is causing crimes out on the street, and it's an enormous amount of time and money spent on the individual. So if we can get them the help sooner. Uh, rather than later, it's going to benefit everyone because the the goal is to get that individual back being a productive member of society and oftentimes putting them, that person in jail, 
uh, that's not necessarily the answer. And, uh, and, and I will just say this, as a former law enforcement officer, um, I can tell you, nobody dislikes a bad cop more than a good cop. And there, that goes to the hiring practice. In the hiring portion of the process, you have to have the psychological evaluation. You have to make sure that officer fits into your culture. Because in my, in my view, when you hire a police officer, you can't get it wrong. You have to hire the best and the brightest for your community. And I think that uh, it takes a lot of work on the front end, but it's so worth it. One last thing. Are you optimistic about America getting past its divisions to address these problems? Absolutely. I've always said legislation is the art of the possible. And Elisa, this nation's best days are yet ahead of us. I believe that with every fiber in my body. And I also believe that the American law enforcement officer will get back to be able to earn that respect, trust uh, in our communities. And I hope it's sooner than later because there's a whole bunch of departments across this nation that are just looking to hire good, solid human beings that will serve their communities with honor, dignity, and trust. And when that happens, you will see a change in this country. Uh, But uh, until we get the elected officials to ensure uh, that they support the police and and, uh, give them the tools, the training, the technology, and the resources they need to succeed on every call, that's going to be difficult. Minnesota Republican Congressman Pete Stauber, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Lisa. The Fearless and Proud podcast series looks at acts of bravery and strength by women. And in this first season, we look at women who played important roles in the Civil War. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tommy Lahren. What's on your mind? Merit-based admissions, religious freedom, and financial accountability. Those three things really, and I mean really, trigger liberals. So much so that Boston University School of Law sent out a message to students bashing the three latest SCOTUS rulings and offering mental health resources to those who may be so shaken by the upholding of the Constitution, they need therapy. The email detailed the behavioral and mental health resources available for students and reminded them they have the tools to help them navigate these trying times. This is giving me flashbacks to November 2016 after Donald Trump won the election and liberal institutions across the nation held cry-ins for these snowflakes. Is this really the kind of humans these colleges and universities are fostering? Students who are so fragile they can't handle anything that conflicts with their worldview? Life is tough. Get a helmet, kiddos. I'm Tommy Lahren, and you can watch my show, Tommy Lahren is Fearless at Outkick.com. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.